Good morning. Whew. That was some good worship. That was, oh man, what a gorgeous morning. It's awesome uh, seeing all of you guys. And uh, uh, if you're a guest here, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, if you're tuning in online, welcome. Um, man, last week was incredible, wasn't it? Uh, it, was, it was different and it was fun. And actually last night we had our leadership meeting and, and uh, there was, uh, I think we ended up going back and counting. I was, I was actually wrong last night, leader, so I apologize. But seven, seven kids have been baptized in the last year here, which is super cool, super cool. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, so if you, if you see uh, Leslie Allen and the rest of you that do serve back there with the kids, like that's, that's what this is about, right? Like this is us serving and making disciples and, um, and, and being able to teach our kids to be able to sing those same words with as much fervency and passion going, like this is, this is incredible what God has done for us. And, um, and so this morning we're going through 1 Peter. We're, we're going to be in chapter 4. Um, and uh, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 11. I have a couple props up here. Um, so I... I uh, so we'll, we'll, start, we'll start with prayer, and then we're going to jump in, and, and what I want us to do this morning is to really think, and I, I want you guys to be thinking about, um, where do you go when, um, when you need to go somewhere, when life causes you to scramble? Where do you go? What do you do? What do you... Where's your, where's your safe place? I was talking to the youth on Wednesday, and I, we talked about this, this idea of uh, abiding in Christ and this, like, this, this idea of like, that being our home and, and drawing close to uh, and crawling up into the lap of God and, and, and really abiding and being close to him. And, but we don't always go there. <laughs> we should, but we don't. We go a lot of different places. And so this morning, this is what Peter is going to talk about as we jump through uh, the first part of chapter four. But before I get started, let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for allowing us to gather together and, and worship you together. And it's beautiful to hear us lift up our voices in praise to the one true God. And we look forward to the time when we will do that with, with all of creation. And we will be singing with choirs of angels and all sorts of um, people in heaven, and the sound is going to be thunderous and beautiful and crippling, probably. And we look forward to that day. And God, I pray that this morning, as, as we talk through how we endure in life, how we thrive, how we deal with suffering in our lives, God, would you just speak to us, convict us, open our hearts, open our eyes and our ears, allow us to hear from your word this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. I think I might have used this analogy already, so if I have, I apologize, but this is the first time I've definitely brought these props in. Um, so, um, I thought, I know, ready, it's game time. So, so Peter's going to say that we're supposed to arm ourselves, um, and, we're gonna, and he's going to talk through the different tools that we have to, 
to arm ourselves. This isn't really arming ourselves, but um, I thought this is how you cut wood up. Like, I, I, I did, and you can, <laughs> I think there's actually blood on that handle, so <laughs> that's horrible. I'm sure it's mine, don't worry. Um, but um, it's a little used. But I, I thought that you split wood with an axe. And, and maybe, and I don't pretend to be a lumberjack, okay? Um, so maybe there's other people in here that, but, but if, you, if you put a stump, you know, and you're trying to split the wood, and you throw this thing at it, it literally just sticks in the wood. And then you spend about a minute trying to pry it out of the wood. This is, this is a life lesson that I've learned. So, and then you swing it again, you try to hit in the same spot, and hoping that, you know, it'll go a little bit deeper and it gets stuck again. And actually, as you get more into the heart of the wood, it actually sticks even more. And so I Googled, <laughs> how am I supposed to split wood? And what I found was that it's actually this thing. It's the first tool ever made. <laughs> it's a wedge and a sledgehammer. And you put this wedge in there and, and you swing a sledgehammer at it and would you be surprised that that wood just split like you read about? And this thing didn't get stuck. It fell off to the side. And I'm like, huh, huh. Don't I feel like a fool? I've always thought, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've got the wrong axe. Maybe, but, but so this, this is how we solve our life, our problems. We, we, swing, we, we grab the tools that we've seen used on TV, <laughs> right? I'm like, I've seen this. I'm pretty sure I saw this on Little House on the Prairie, and he's swinging an axe the whole time. Um, <laughs> but um, we grab the tools that we, that we see, that we've seen our parents use, that we've seen our friends use, that we see society embrace, and we go, those are the tools, those are the things that we use when the going gets tough, when we cope. And we deal with the struggles in our lives. And, and what we're going to see is that Peter's going to go, there's, there's, that's the wrong tool. We've been using the wrong tool. So we're going to start off in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And, and, um, and, he, and he starts off right away. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And he, what does he draw on? He draws on Christ's suffering, and he says, he says listen, the world is going to throw, we need to be armed, right? We would, I mean, that's what Peter's saying. You need to be armed. Armed with what? What's happening? Are we going to war? Are we fighting? Like, what, what does this, what is he talking about here? He says, arm yourselves with what? He says, a way of thinking, a thought process, an understanding, a perspective. This is what Peter starts off chapter 4, right? In the context of First uh, Peter, right? We've been talking about suffering for uh, three chapters now, right? And it's going to keep going. But, but what he says is in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all of this suffering, you need to be armed. You need to be prepared to defend yourself. Against what? 
against all the things that roll through this dome of ours. Questioning, I mean, exactly what Warner talked about, questioning who am I, really? What, what's my purpose? Did I cause this suffering upon myself? Does God not love me? Is he punishing me? What's the purpose? What am I here to do? I feel like it's aimless. I feel like we're just suffering and longing and we're just spinning our wheels. Here's this thing. That's what you need to arm yourself with is a different way of thinking. And what does he do? He points to Christ. He says that Christ suffered in the flesh. He's pointing to, obviously, Christ's entire suffering, but in particular, the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you, if you turn over to Luke chapter 22, Luke walks through this in uh, Luke 22, verse 41. And I want you to listen to this. Because he says, that this is how Christ understood it. And so if Christ suffered and went through all of this, that we should be thinking the same way he does. In verse 41, it says that Jesus, it says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's the cup? It's the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus goes, I don't want this. I don't, my, my, I, I, I don't want this feeling. I don't want to go through this. Now, he obviously chose to go through this. But he still didn't want, right? We, we understand this, right? We understand this feeling of like, this, I, I need to do this. That doesn't mean I want to do this, right? We, we all understand that perspective in life. I tell my kids, everything worth doing is hard work, right? We don't, we don't want to do the things we're doing, but it, it's, it's worth it. And so Jesus very honestly goes, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so what he says is, I know that my feelings, my emotions are clouded, right? That, that, that God's will is the greatest thing that he's sovereign, that he understands the, the, the bigger picture, the perspective of our lives way better than we can. And he knows what's coming. And so Jesus goes, man, this, this is what I want. I want your will. And says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is how Christ suffered. And then we can go to when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is... This is how Christ suffered. And this is what Peter is drawing us to. He goes, go. Like, look at how Jesus suffered and suffer. Have that same way of thinking, that same purpose, that same, that same uh, understanding that God's sovereignty is great and beautiful and perfect and it's the best thing for us and it's the most glorifying to him. 
have that same mindset. That's what he's encouraging us to do. Now, I want to, so honestly, I was driving to Publix this morning, and I'm like, Jesus gets mad at the, he doesn't get mad at him. In Luke, he doesn't get mad at him as much as he does in, I think it's in Mark, but they're sleeping. He comes back, and he's like, dude, this is game time, and you're sleeping? Right? And he goes back again, and it's this back and forth exchange, and he keeps going to pray, and they keep sleeping, right? I know none of you have fallen asleep praying. <laughs> I've restarted three times in one night <laughs> when Melissa and I are praying together because I kept falling asleep. I'm like, this is not good. Anyway, right? So he, he, gets, he criticizes them for them praying or for them sleeping, right? What happened on the boat in the storm? What's happening? There's winds and waves and chaos, and the guys are like freaking out. And what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. How? I, seriously. Why is it appropriate for Jesus to be sleeping in the middle of actual, like, literally, like, tangible, I might die? And when the disciples are sleeping in the garden at night, Give him a break, Jesus. You were sleeping. What's different? What's different? It says that they were sleeping for sorrow. It was their coping mechanism. Right? Jesus wasn't coping in the midst of the wind and the waves. He was just sleeping. <laughs> He's like, it's fine. We're, we're going to be fine. Here, just stop. Let's go. He wasn't, he wasn't sleeping for a purpose. Sometimes we crawl up into a ball and want to just sleep and tune out the world and cope. And I think that's what the disciples were doing. In their sorrow, they were so filled with grief that they went, Dude, just, I just, can you just go dark for a little bit? You see, I think that's the difference. And that's what comes down to our way of thinking. And when Peter tells us, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, saying, what are you coping with? Where do you go to? Do you go to the weapons of the world and wage war the way the world does with, with your depression and anxiety and frustrations and hopelessness? Do you unplug? Do you swipe on TikTok, Snapchat? Facebook and YouTube endlessly just to drown out everything else. We're all there, aren't we? We do it. And Peter's going, dude, that's not, that's not what you should be arming yourself with. And so he says, it's time to say enough. So he says in 1 Peter, uh, second part of verse 1 there, That's why they give me these things. So. <laughs> he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He says, it's enough. What are, what's that list? What's the point? I mean, he could have put more things in there. He could have put less things in there. He seems somewhat redundant. He's saying, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ. Don't arm yourself with all of the distractions and things of this world. Don't go unplug and just go drink your sorrows away. You see, they, they didn't have TikTok. <laughs> they didn't have YouTube. They didn't have the ability to go drown them out these ways. These were the ways, these were the human passions, the worldly pursuits that, that were used in that day to distract, to quiet down the world and the chaos, to cope. And that's what they were using. And see, these, these are the weapons that the world uses. And, and the, the weapons are a lot, and I keep throwing out different ones, and maybe you're like, well, there's this, and there's this, and I, I go to this, and, and I don't know what, what, it, what, it, what it is. What is it that you guys go to? What's your thing? What's the thing that you go to when life gets tough? How about this? What do your kids see you go to when life gets tough? What do they see? Where, where do you go? Where does your mind go? Because look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You see, this is what he's saying. He's like, we don't stop grabbing the stuff, stop grabbing the things, stop going to these worldly and human passions thinking that that is going to be what you need to get through. It's not going to work. You see, and, and us as, as followers of Christ, we, 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 we dabble there, right? Now, he, what he says is that we have ceased from sin. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're not sinning anymore? Certainly not. Certainly not, right? But what he's saying, he says, um, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What he's saying is, where do you go? What are you going to intentionally? Are you going to sin? Are you going to these things? Are you going to these human passions, these coping mechanisms? Or are you going to Christ? Are you going to the cross? Are you, are you thinking the same way Jesus did and going, God is sovereign. I don't need to I don't need to distract myself from the situation that I'm in. I need to be asking, what does God have for me in this situation? I need to be asking, what is he doing in the midst of this? You see, that's how we, of faith, deal with the things in our lives. That's the, that's the way of thinking we've been given. That's the weapon 
that we have to wage war against the thoughts that are so pervasive in our minds. But we still go back to them, don't we? And we still do. And so Peter's point isn't that we have ceased sinning. You know, we will be living life and we look down and we see the weapon in our hand. And we're like, that's not the right weapon. <laughs> right? We've been trying to slay our demons and, and you know, we're like, man, I just, I just need to, if I, if I just unplug for some time, if I just do this, if I just turn everything off, if I just go crawl up in a corner, I'll feel better. No, go there. Go to the foot of the cross. That's, that's where you're going to get recharged. Because you see, the, the world doesn't understand this, and that's all they have are these tools. And they wake up the next morning in a stupor with the same problems they had that they left. And no better equipped. And this is why he says, the time is enough. It, it's sufficient. The time has passed. It suffices. You know, and if you're young in here, you're like, I didn't have much of that time. And if you're old in here, you're like, I had a lot of that time. Peter says, it doesn't matter. It's done. You've had enough time. Put down those weapons. Those aren't the things that you should be arming yourself with. And here's why. He says, because this, this isn't the end of everything. This is not the end. He says in verse 4, With respect to this, they, meaning the world, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. You see, what he says is, when we choose to start picking up the other weapons, the world is going to malign us. The world is going to feel judged. The world is going to not understand. When the world says, hey, let's go do this. Let's go have fun. Let's, you know, and, and I mean, how many times has this happened when somebody has given you worldly advice? Do you recognize it as worldly advice? You know what you should do? You should just leave it. You know what you should do? You should get even. You know what we should do? Let's just, let's go blow it up tonight. Have we all heard those things? That's how the world wages war. And so when you go, no, no, that's not how I'm going to wage war. I've got a different way of thinking, a different purpose, different perspective. He, he says, you're going to be maligned for this. And see, and what they're going to do, right, what the world's going to do, and, and it's going to sink into us, is they're going to go, dude, you only have one life. Man, enjoy it. God's given us all this stuff. Let's have fun. Enjoy life. Look at your sorrowful life, and you're just, you're just going to deal with this suffering? I mean, it's a mathematical problem to the world, right? They go, let's see, you spend 12 hours suffering, but if you then go get completely blasted, you can spend two to three hours not worrying about it. It's a math problem. It just, it helps offset that a little bit. And then if you sleep for 12 hours, you're gonna, it'll work out. 
what's the other, right? Is, is that not what it, what it looks like? And, and so what he's saying here is he goes, you go, no, that's not, I'm going to deal with this. And in the midst of my chaos, in the midst of my suffering, I know that God is going to give me joy and peace and contentment. It's not going to come right away. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Remember, this is, this is written by, first, by Peter, not First Peter. <laughs> it's written by Peter. If, if anybody could know what suffering looked like, aside from Jesus, it's Peter. So look at what he says in verse 5. He says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What he's saying here is, is this isn't the end. There's, there's eternity in the balance, right? So here we are doing this mathematical problem about the number of hours in a day, or, or I mean, how many times, and especially for the youth in here, how many times have you heard, like, dude, just enjoy life till about your mid-20s, you know, then you can settle down and be responsible. And they go, it's just a math thing, right? You need that time. And they go, eternity is in the balance. There, this is a dot. This is a blip on the timeline of eternity. And here we are going, let's enjoy this dot. Let's make it for all it's worth. And he goes, listen, it says um, that though they, they're judged in the flesh, all he's saying, what Peter's saying is, everybody's going to die. And honestly, at this time, right, like, like people are dying, and there was a little bit of a concern, and this kind of goes throughout the New Testament, there was a little bit of concern that if people had died before Jesus came back, like they wouldn't have eternal life. And so Paul talks to that in some of his letters, going, no, 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 that's not how this works. Because even the dead have the opportunity, right? Everybody is going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. That is without, without exception. Everybody that has been created by our God will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and accept or reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is a true statement. And so he says that they might live to the Spirit, that they might have eternal life. He says this is what is available so eternity's in the balance. Why are we playing around? Here's the thing. This is the greatest evangelistic tool we have. Because people are going to go, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. I don't understand your way of thinking. How can you be okay with the suffering in your life? How can you be joyful in the midst of these circumstances? And then they, likewise, are going to go and, and respond 
and pick up the tools of the world, right, and live for human passions, and then the next morning it's going to be a rinse and repeat, and it's going to be the same thing, and, and you have an opportunity to go, is that helping? Is it helping you? And they're going to be honest, and they're going to go, I mean, it helps for a couple hours, and I can unplug for a few but really, on the long run, it's not helpful. You see, maybe, maybe I can help. Have you heard of Jesus Christ? You understand that this suffering and, and this thing, like this isn't chaos. Maybe he's trying to get your attention. Maybe he's trying to rattle your cage and wake you up and recognize that you're not in control of your world, that he's in control of your world. You can't solve the problem, the real problem of your heart, which is a deceptive heart, right? That's the problem, and you have no ability to change that in of yourself, that only Jesus Christ can solve that, can change our heart, and the Holy Spirit changes our affections. That's what we need. That's what we need. And so when we share this, this is, where, this is where the gospel becomes real in our lives, right? And in the lives of those that we're working with and, and in our neighborhoods and in our families, we're like, no, no, you don't understand. We have a tool that is, that is incredible, that is beautiful. Think about God's sovereignty. Think about our purpose in this world. Now, how do you answer your suffering? Pick up the right tool. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And then he turns to make this really practical. Look what he says in verse 8. All right, actually, I don't think I read verse 7, did I? <laughs> in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He's like, the end is, like, the end of all of this is at hand. Like, there is eternity in the balance here. And then in verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is cool. Because here's the other coping mechanism we use that we're tempted to use to just deal with me. I need to just, I just need to deal with, with me. And, I, and, and my, my little problem set here, and I'll get to living on mission, I'll get to making disciples, I'll get to loving others and serving others later. But right now, I need to focus on me. And listen, I'm not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not any of those things. So I couch all of this with, I, I'm just reading what, what he's saying, what Peter is saying here. And what he's saying is, keep loving one another. Keep showing hospitality. Don't stop. Don't stop opening up your house. Don't stop revealing your heart to others. Don't stop serving each other. Don't stop loving each other. And he even says, and these aren't even love and hospitality to the people that are hospitable and loving, 
right? What, what does he say? He gives the examples are keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I've heard this read that, well, if you love, that's like a balancing thing on the scales. And if you've got a lot of sins and you got a lot of love, well, that helps balance it out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that your love covers over somebody else's sins against you. Right, so when somebody is sinning against you, you love them in return, right? And this is what Jesus says all the time, right? And so that love covers over those sins. You, the, the sins won't matter because you're loving, because you're reflecting the love of God. And so he goes, this isn't just loving people that love you. These are loving people that aren't really lovable or that are sinning against you, that are offending you. You respond with love. And then he says, be hospitable. Stop grumbling about it. <laughs> I love the word grumbling. It sounds like a, well, sounds like an old man, right? <laughs> like this grumbling, like muttering, like I don't want to deal with this. I don't, I don't want, right? It's kind of this, like I just, this calloused, I don't want anything to do with that. And what he's saying here, though, is be hospitable. Keep being hospitable, even in your suffering. Open up your doors, open up your hearts, open up your lives. Be hospitable to one another. Then he says, be the church in suffering. In verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He says, serve, love, be hospitable, serve. And what does he point to, though? He says, be good stewards. Be good stewards of God's varied grace. Are you a good steward? See, stewardship has to do with, you know, using your time or your finance or your, your things, your possessions, right? And, and using them for what? For God's glory, for God's, for building his kingdom. And so he says, are you being a good steward, right? And so when we endure the, the trials of life and the suffering and we become recluses and we, and we cover down and we care about ourselves, right? We're not being good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Look, turn over to Romans chapter 12. Or you can write it in the side of your, your books there if you have it. Your Bibles. Um, Romans 12, 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, and generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
verse uh, verse 9's not up there, but after that he says, let love be genuine. If you've come in these doors, if you're a follower of Christ, he has gifted you. He has put you here for a purpose, for the body of Christ, to be good stewards, to serve one another. That's what he's pointing to here. He's saying, so serve, use, use your talents, use your treasures, use, use your life for building up God's kingdom. Look around, pour into each other's life, invest in each other. Serve one another, even in the midst of the chaos of your life. It's never gonna go away. Man, what, what, how about that as a crazy logic stream that we go down? Next year will be better. After the holidays, life will slow down. I don't know what holiday we're referring to, but we haven't hit it yet. But isn't this how we think? It's a coping mechanism too. We go, I'm gonna defer this. Peter says, the end is near. Live, live as good stewards of God's grace. Love, be hospitable, serve one another. Pick up the right tools, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And what does he say at the end here? He says, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's the point of all this? Why does God care what tool we pick up? I mean, if we're saved, if we believe in Christ, does it matter? Yeah, it matters because you are here, I am here. We are all here muddling our way through this world for a purpose, to bring others to Christ, to introduce others to Christ, to proclaim the gospel in our lives. That's our purpose. So don't defer it. Don't delay. The time is now. It's enough. Stop picking up the other tools. Stop using the other weapons. Go to God. Go to God. Go to the foot of the cross and reflect. Have the same way of thinking that Jesus Christ had, that God is sovereign and that whatever the circumstance is in your life, it is for your good and his glory. And rest in that. Know that he loves you. And just as we sang in the beginning, that we are children of God. Let me pray.